0: I lost money and, but you know what? Failure teaches you a lot. And a lot of people are scared to fail, you know, especially the A-type personalities, because, you know, you go to school and it's like, oh, you got to check this and this right. And, you know, and you get graded all the time and, and you may feel bad if you don't succeed or if you don't get that A, you know, on your paper. Um, but for me, I'm not scared to try something and and, and move forward.
1: You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discuss the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show.
2: The We Love Equity Show is brought to you by Azria. Widely recognized as an outstanding resource for real estate investors with exceptional education, networking, and support, along with profit-enhancing benefits and all aspects of real estate investing. Visit Azria at www.azria.org. That's visit Azria at www.azria.org. Org. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. I am your host, Marcus Maloney, and I'm excited today about the guests that I'm going to bring to you. But before I do that, I want to preface and pre-warn you and let you know that this is a husband and wife team. So they're going to be working. They're working together on doing high-end builds, ground-up development, construction, and things like that. So grab your pen, your papers, your notebooks, Get ready to take some notes because they are definitely going to drop some gems on you today. So without any further delay, I want to welcome you, Brian and Marilyn Yelder, to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. How are you guys doing today?
0: Hey, We're doing fantastic. Thanks for the invitation to allow us to uh, you know be on your uh, you know great podcast. Well, thank you so much. So, Marilyn, thank you so much for allowing Brian
2: to be on the show. I definitely know it takes a lot to get him to get up and going sometimes. So. It does.
3: Yeah. Okay. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So give us some background. Let's start with you, Marilyn. Before you, before you got into real estate, I know you're, you're still working a full-time job. Kind of give us that background. What you do.
3: So in my full-time practice, I'm a pediatric nurse practitioner. And how I got involved in real estate kind of was that haphazardly way. Where I was working at was I lost my position. It was purged because of COVID. So it was in July of 2020 that I, I lost my job or my position was eliminated at the time. And so I couldn't find work. And so this guy was up to his eyeballs in a lot of work, permits, cities, house so- stuff, driving a lot back and forth. And I just said, I can help you with a couple of things. So I did a couple of things calling the city for permitting and got permit numbers organized, a couple of things. And next thing I know, I was just like, I can find floors for you. I think we could do a kitchen and had the stopped since then. And that was in 2020, like August 2020. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. So Brian, did you welcome that that assistance?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I needed some help, and so it's, you know, definitely she's the more I say organized person. And okay. so you know, I have an idea, I, I get going, and let's 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 go 100 miles an hour. And you know, I can uh, I create some havoc. So I need somebody to help me. Uh, Stay okay, on, you know. yeah, no, yeah. Not until totally down, just stay, stay a little bit organized so I don't leave like uh, a whole mess of stuff behind me and, yeah. and things like that. So it's been, uh, it's been good. Okay.
2: Okay, great. Great. So Brian, tell me your background in real estate, introduce everyone to you and how long you've been doing real estate and how you got started.
0: Okay. So, you know, I, I read this book. It was the first book. I was just, I think it was in college I was in a community college, and I read the book called Wealth Without Risk, and it just had a whole bunch of things about disinvesting, insurance, you know, about taxes, and it was a couple hundred pages, and I bought the book at the uh, bookstore, and I think it was like maybe 20 or something like that, 21, and man, I couldn't put it down. I mean, I, I didn't think I read it from beginning to end, like a day and a half. So, okay. you know, one, one was, you know, I read a book that I wasn't, you know, I had to read because the school told me to do it. Right. And number right. two, I bought it. And number three, I read it and I did it quick because, it, but it was so interesting. So once you know, they talked about a lot of real estate, like tax, uh, tax certificates, buying those things that, you know, at the county tax sale liens and things like that. And so it just had my mind going with real estate. And it's like, man, you know, it, I would love to do this. and. Then, maybe maybe a few months later, it was summertime, and I answered an ad about you know real estate you know, mm-hmm. hey, one how to practice real estate, whatever, And it was from Cobo Banker, and you know I went in and I said they said, uh, "Well, you have to get a license, this, that, and the other." And I'm like, "Cool." So mm-hmm. I went and got my license. It went one week, 40 hours, but this was in Michigan, and I got my license. Started so I with some investors once I got licensed. And I was putting in lots of offers. Uh, I worked with a few investors that were flipping some homes. And I didn't know what flipping was at the time. I just uh, started This is what they did. And uh, that was it. But, you know, traditional real estate sales is what I did. And I've been doing it for, man, it was like three decades now. Okay.
2: So you you got into traditional real estate sales. is just, just regular going out, showing investors homes, things yep. like that. How did you start positioning yourself? To go into the investment industry doing what they were doing because you were just, you were not to say just an agent
0: because I'm an agent too, but you were just doing traditional sales. Well, I did traditional sales for a long time and it really wasn't until 2017. And it was, it was, here's another book. It was a book that I got and it came to our house. I didn't know, I, and I called a few friends. I said, Hey, did you guys send me something? Did you send me something? I didn't order it. It was called Wealth Can't Wait. And okay. I was like, okay, I read that. And it's like, all right, this is a sign from God. I got to get moving. And so I talked to my wife. I said, hey, you know, so we're in Arizona. Well. We've been here for 15 years now. And talked about investing. And it's one of the guys, one of the partners in there. He had like, he lived in California, but he had like 700 homes out of Pittsburgh where he grew up. And I was like, well, I did real estate back in Michigan. North of Detroit, and that's like, all right, let's go ahead and let's buy some rental properties out there because out here was at the time was like, man, you know, two hundred thousand dollars home for fifteen hundred dollars rent. I can buy a house out there for eighty thousand and like twelve hundred bucks for rent. That's like, well, let me make some, let me make some plans, let me make some connections, and I knew the market out there were written very well, so went out there and started investing, bought some rentals, and got them fixed up and things like so, that. So so
2: slow down Brian because you you you're getting ahead of us. You went from college to selling real estate to Arizona. I know there was a lot in between there. So let's go back okay to Michigan, right? Yeah, let's go back to Michigan. How did you do your first your first deal, your first investment property? Not per se, you know, the traditional sales, but once you took off that sales hat and said, you know what, I want to do this cuz I know you did some development back yeah. in Michigan, right? So kind of right. tell us yeah. tell us that how did you switch from being
0: that agent to being that that uh real estate investor? So it was probably 4 years after I got originally licensed and I decided to okay. hit him and buy a property and I did a lot split on it. Put up started with like four homes. I had four homes set up uh for development. Okay. Wait, built, wait, up, wait. Slow slow down, Brian.
2: Okay. Because I want to make sure we all all get the depth and the breadth breath of this, okay, right? So, okay. your first project, jumping from being an agent, is to ground up development, split lots, yes. right? Why did Why did you want to take on such a project? Why not just do a flip or a wholesale deal or buy a rental? Seems yeah, very ambitious. Know,
1: so rental,
0: because I dealt with a lot of guys that uh, you know. Uh, Helping buy and sell homes, and I said like, I don't want to be a landlord, you okay. know, just because you know saw saw some of the stories, right? And I see some of the homes I'm going in after the listed, I'm trying to sell houses that had renters in it, and that was always a hassle. Like I, I don't want to be a landlord, so I said, well, let me let me let me find the house I can buy it. And so I built it was a modular house, and it's like okay, it's not in ground up construction, it is, okay. but modular maybe you know most of the houses built off site. Right. I can probably do that. So that was my idea. Instead of just a flip, I wanted something new construction. And so it was it was a big tackle. The issue I had at the time was again, this is four years after I've been doing regular real estate. The issue was I just didn't have a real strong network of subcontractors at that time. And that was again, I was in my late twenties. And it was man, it was hard because you know I, I get a good one or two subs and then I get a bad, one. and then so the bad ones just drag everything along. They met, you know, make mistakes, and okay. but you know, I so at the end of the day, it's on it's on me as a developer owner, yeah. and I, you know, I'm I'm paying the cost for it. So you know, that was a really bad experience. That was about two years, the worst part of my life. And our lives. our lives, and it was like, ah, I don't want to do this again without having the right connections and so forth. So it was, it was a network. And if you didn't know the right people, they didn't know you, you, you couldn't get the good people, you know what I mean? The good subs. So, and so, uh, okay. it wasn't a good experience. So I didn't do any real estate after that for about a decade,
3: right.
0: I got into a different industry and everything.
2: So, so you found these, you found you were 50, 50 on the subs. Let's just say that. Can I say that Marilyn about 50, 50 on the subs? Okay. What would you tell somebody now that's going out? What would either one of you guys tell somebody now going out that's looking to find subs? Where would you tell them to go? What would you tell? What are some of the questions that you would ask them? Go
0: ahead.
3: So here, I think you you have to do groundwork. Like I think if you're going, when you're in a zip code or a street or whatever, walk the neighborhoods or drive around the neighborhood, see other homes that are coming up. Who are you looking for? Are you looking for a framer, a roofer, an electrician and go out there and you're basically networking with the people that are doing the work right now and just okay. have free conversations. Let them know who you are, what you're looking for. Would they be interested? Um and start there. I mean, when we started here, Brian walked around the neighborhood where we were doing a house in and we ended up he's now our site supervisor. And so, and that's just, you know, it's just it's how do you call it? Just boots to the ground. Boots, I boots guess. Boots on is the best ground. Way. Yep. Yeah, that's Networking. the best way to describe it. And then that just kind of continues to build because if you have a really good team um that you know, you start with. They usually know a lot of other people. Like They work with other framers because they've been, they, they're they the ones on the site. So they're like, hey, yeah. I got this guy. I think you might like. And sometimes you trust them 100%. And, you know, might ask a few minimal questions about like, all I need to do with this, how you licensed? How, how big is your crew um, that works with you? What's your time frame? and what's your availability? You start with that. And then for us, we really trusted, uh, his name is Hector, Um, Mm -hmm. And we really trusted him and his like vast network. And then from there, it just kind of continued to snowball. And now we just have these great, some contractors that we use pretty much on a regular basis for all of our projects.
2: So you guys hear what Marilyn said, you have to be inquisitive. You have to be nosy. So if you're, Mm -hmm. if you're driving down the street, you see some major development or construction going on or fix and flip happening, go in and talk to the contractor and, and say, Hey, you know what? How long you're basically doing an on-the-spot interview. Hey, man, you know, how long you been doing this? You know, um, how many projects do you have going on? Get their contact info. You're not yeah. stealing, you know, a worker from anyone else, but yeah. you're looking for, you're looking to build your network. So definitely right. be inquisitive and be, no, I do it all of the time. I'm guilty. My wife is like, you see another house, you're pulling over, you're going to talk to a contractor, right? I say, yeah. yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So Ryan so, does it yep so what what do you guys do when you have that that contractor that just don't perform to the level or the standards you know for the deliverabilities that you're looking for? I know that sometimes a tough conversation kind of walk us through that so people know how soon do you need to start seeing those red flags before you need to get rid
3: of them Well, example
0: that yeah I mean, even the project we got on right now it's like uh it's a tile ty- Tyler that we we've used them in the past, but this person is, uh, uh, is a helper employee of our, of the main guy. And okay. so the main guy, he couldn't, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't available. He's on the project. He said, but I'll send my other two guys. And we're like, okay. And so the work wasn't coming out the way we want. And so okay. we like, we had a conversation. I said, Hey, man, uh, I told Hector, who was our site supervisor, "Hey, this this doesn't look to our standards. You know, we got we got to you know this is going to be a multi-million hall. We need it to be pristine, and so you know it was just quick. And I I can't keep moving forward. You know, okay. You totally the materials expensive, but you know it was more expensive is you know bad workmanship. You know, and it's yes. not, not to say it's horrible, but there's different levels. Yeah, you know. know, so if you have a luxury property." It's got to be A-level. A, a level. Right. Will I use that person again? Right. Yeah. If, it, if it's a rental, you know, $300,000 mm-hmm. home, yeah, no problem. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and get it done. I don't need every line, you know, and all the grout lines tight. But in, in the $300,000, really, I don't need that necessarily. Sure. You know, it's got to right. be good. It's got to be quality. But it could be B, you know. Mm-hmm. But in mm-hmm. something I got to sell at luxury at A, I, you know, it has to be frustrating. So, okay. And
3: and I think the thing that helped in this case too, is that we've had a relationship with this Tyler. So in the end, when we just said, you know, we're not going to move forward. No, at least as far as we know, nobody was upset. They understood, you know, like, Hey, I did it. We had some faulty material Mm -hmm. that came in too. So that kind of stopped the work or whatever. But, um, you know, there was an understanding, a mutual understanding um, in the relationship as well.
2: Yeah, and and one of the biggest mistakes that I see people make is when, as the owner or the project manager of that project, you see that that subpar quality work, and you just say, you know what, I can deal with it. So you guys that's listening right now, do not accept I can deal with it because this is your money on the line, and not only that, it's your credibility that's on the line. So. Just like um, the Yelders, they're building multi-million dollar homes. They have to have that to a pristine level. And that standard and that bar has to, set pretty, have to be set pretty high. If not, that property will sit on the market. Yeah. And the longer it sits on the market, guess what happens? The more money that they lose, right? right? Okay. So let's, let's kind of go back real quick. We, I just wanted to get some framework around how to deal with contractors because we get that question quite a bit from fixing flippers. Um, So you you guys got these modular homes, you got them set up on these lots and everything like that. Um, What was next after that? Because I'm pretty sure that that was a huge undertaking for your first project coming out the door, um, getting that done. How did you find the land? Why did you decide to go modular homes versus ground up construction? Kind of what was your thought process around
0: that? Well, I thought it was going to be easier than stick frame uh traditional stick stick frame, and by the way, too, let me go one step back. I did get my license as a contractor you know it was just basically taking a test oh uh, simple you know within a couple of months, I had my contractor's license. I call myself a paper contractor, you know because I don't necessarily do the work, but you know I'm licensed to hire everybody else to do it yeah and but you know it, it was in my it was in my wheelhouse that's the area that actually I, my my family used to live in a home just down the street from this. But this is where my wheelhouse. I sold like probably 130 some homes in that area uh, over a few years. So I know the area well. I know what the market is, and that's one thing I want to uh, impress on everyone: is whatever you do, know that area and not just a vast area. I'm talking about maybe one, two, maybe three zip codes, and then concentrating that and be the expert in that area. So that area for me, I was, I I knew like the back of my hand, uh, okay. taking on that type of project. Yeah. It was overwhelming. You know, I was, you know, I thought I can do it all because I was a successful agent and, okay. you know, I was like, you know,
3: ambitious, ambitious, ambitious. Yeah. Very ambitious. <laughs> That's right? a good one. That's a good
0: word for it. Uh, <laughs>
2: What were what were some of the problems that you that you had on that site that you were not expecting? And so, I know you that know, the talk about don't. yeah
0: yeah so they talk about a lot of like contingencies so you know contingencies are you know you have money set aside say five percent for overages or whatever unexpected things that happen. Well, on that project it was more like twenty percent, you know. Uh, oh, <laughs> you know because like when we when they done the base. For example, they had basements out in Michigan and, you know, you dig in a basement and then there's water, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, well a lot of water. So now I got to get a sump pump. I got to get, bring more dirty in. So there's thousands of dollars, you know, uh, and then the sewer line was, you know, in the middle of the street and it was way deeper than what they they thought it was going to be. And so you know, it was like eight, 10 feet deep to get the sewer line. Uh, So, you know, that stuff was like, you know, here's 15 grand right there. Boom, 20 grand. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it adds up quick. And if you don't have, you know, enough money to back you. And I think that's the big thing is you got to have enough money. One is contingencies. And then you got to have enough money also, you know, to go on the project to make sure you, you go, you get it done. Mm-hmm. So okay. I think that was the biggest factor. I didn't have enough. Wouldn't say savings one, but then also other investors that, you know, Hey, I need this much more money. There's going to be 150 thousand to build it. Hey, let me have 200 just in case. I you know some something gotcha. happens and I can get through it. So, so, goes, so be, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, sorry. If you have enough right. money, you know sometimes you know money can solve problems. You know there's uh, there's a biblical verse in the Bible talking like, you know money is a defense. Too. Yeah, wisdom is a defense, but money is okay. is an offense. Mm-hmm. You know it's like okay. All right, well, yeah, that, we was a bit, that was a good being. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were we lacking a little bit of offense. We were a little bit of offense,
3: at the time.
2: So let me ask you this, Brian and Marilyn, you can you can answer too. So during, during that process going through that, you know, was there something that you overlooked, not just the money or the contingencies, but like you said with the sewers, hey, they were eight feet down or ten feet down versus what you thought was, you know, maybe four or five feet down. Was there like some city plans that you could have went and looked at or something like that? For those who's thinking about doing some development, you know, what are what are some of the things that they need to look at to make sure they're not running into these these issues?
0: Yeah, so there can be some stuff like on the job is, you know, date on the sewer or something like that. Sometimes you don't know, and then, then you just have to have a little bit of wiggle room, you know. Uh, that's just some things you just can't find out all the time. Uh, okay. the water thing, you know, I could have probably, um, you know, look like, yeah, this is low in this area. Uh, but you know, it's not until you start digging. It's like, Hey, this water table's a little bit higher and especially, you know, back there is 10 feet out of here is different. You know? Yeah. There's really not a lot of basements. I haven't done mm-hmm. the basement. Um, but you know, you, you, you talk to the city, um, Meaning that you know, once you find a lot, you can look back uh, through their through the records. You can go out to the city, like Phoenix, for example. They have a site planning uh, uh, area, and you can go and see, hey, what's the history in this property? You know, you can see they can tell you what you know what property's been on it, uh, okay. you know, and you can see if it's in the floodplain, uh, if it's uh, you know what other zoning it had before. Yeah, you, know, you know things like that, so you can have an idea what was there, and you know what you might come across. You know, like we will tear down a house here, and it may be a, a old septic tank there. You know, well, yeah, that's built nineteen fifties, it's probably a septic tank.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What does that mean? You got to dig a little bit deeper, get remove it, so you know you have a good strong solid foundation. But things like that, you can you can figure out. Okay, all right, sounds good. So
2: you went from Michigan, you were doing development in Michigan. Now you said you ran into some problems, right? And then you stopped for, how long did you stop?
0: A decade? Decade, about 12 years before I got back into real estate. So why? I was sour. It was sour. <laughs> I mean, I, had, I paid back a lot of people. I lost money. And, but you know what? Failure teaches you a lot. And a lot of people are scared to fail, you know, especially A-type personalities, because, you know, you go to school and it's like, oh, you got to check this and this right. And, you know, and you get graded all the time and and you may feel bad if you don't succeed or if you don't get that A, you know, on your paper. Uh, But for me, I'm not scared to try something and and move forward uh, and then get a C or D grade or E grade, you know what I mean? Okay. what that means to me is like okay well if i have an opportunity i have more i have breath in my lungs the next day let me figure out what do i gotta do what corrections do i have to make you know it's just like i hear about you know you you take a plane you get on the plane and you know there's a destination but we're not all usually in the cockpit unless you're a pilot but when you when you, you, you when you're sitting there as a passenger you're just in the air and you don't know what's going on but from what i understand there's degrees of things that get off a little bit while they're flying and it may not be the exact flat plane that they thought they were gonna be sure. on. And but you just make little maneuvers along the way. Sure. And, you know, that's why I made the the comment about the money. If you have enough money, you know, hey, yeah, I lost, you know, this cost me about five grand more than I thought. All right, I have that set aside. I could I'm still worked. I I still had the opportunity. It's still there. I can still move forward. It's not, you know, it's not going to cycle me and, and, and put us back or set us back. So,
2: okay, great, uh, as great. As long as you yeah. have
0: something, you you can, y'all you, you can do it. You can keep moving forward. So let's
2: let's do this. Let's hear a brief word from our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to talk to Marilyn. And Marilyn, I want to talk to you about two things. One, being bankable, because that's one of the things that a lot of investors run into. Me, myself. Just like Brian, it's like, okay, we're out here, we're going, we're going, we're going, but we don't have that steady W-2. So it may be a little bit more difficult to get financing. So let's talk about, you know, the importance of being bankable and having that bankable partner. So let's hear a word from our sponsors and we will be right back.
1: Finding real estate deals can be a challenge, but with the batch leads, it doesn't have to be. Batch Leads has created a one-stop solution for all your real estate needs. So you can find more sellers, close more deals and maximize revenue. Batch Leads offers a comprehensive suite of lead generating tools that cover text messaging, skip tracing, finding comps and much more. Batch Leads help you simplify, manage and organize all your data in one place. Batch will help you stack your lists and identify properties that appear on multiple lists and have multiple distress indicators. These sellers are likely to be highly motivated and eager to sell. Get the most powerful and complete lead generation platform in the industry. Locate sellers, buyers, and lenders nationwide in seconds. Go to Batchly.io and use promo code, we love equity. Are you tired of seeing others becoming successful real estate investors, and you just don't know where to start? You see all the Instagram posts of others being successful. You see the Facebook ads guaranteeing instant success. You look at tons of YouTube videos and you even attend seminars just to be tricked into 10, 20 or even $30,000 courses. Well, with the Deal Finders Club, my husband is here to change things for you. Have you said to yourself, I'm deadly afraid to talk to sellers and I have no confidence. I don't know where to find motivated sellers. I don't know where to get a contract from. I don't know how much to offer the seller, let alone where I'm going to get the money from to close the deal. Well, in the Deal Finders Club, Marcus and his partner, Mike, are going to show you how to overcome all those challenges and more. Find out how by going to azdfc.com. That's azdfc.com. We'll see you inside.
2: All right, guys, we are back with Marilyn and Brian Yelder, and we're talking to a couple that's developing, ground-up development. We talked about some of their backstory. Right now, what I want to do, I want to talk to Marilyn and talk about the importance, well, both of you guys, Marilyn and Brian, about being bankable and why that is strongly suggested and important. So, Marilyn, if you don't mind, um, why did you decide to stay on your W-2 job if Brian is out here moving dirt, making all of this money and, and, and doing everything that his heart desires?
3: Yes. So it was it was an advantage, I believe, having like a W-2 kind of coming in so that when he went to lenders and, you know, we had to show proof of income um, that we had that. Not to say that his real estate didn't have the income, but it's different when it's I'm working 40 hours, you know, throughout an entire year. And it's a different type of um, fund source that they see. Mm -hmm. Like, if you know, Mm -hmm. he falters and they're going to come after me. Um, right. or, which, you know, we haven't, that hasn't been the case and stuff. So it's an advantage to to do it that way. And it's hard in the sense of like my role in what we do and working full time. So, you know, I work four days a week, three days a week. I am I'm helping him out. I'm up late at night doing things, doing research, finding things, meeting people on my one day off. I get Mondays okay. off where people are other people or businesses are nine to five. Or I can go and look at materials, or meet with designers, or flooring places. And you know, on the Saturday and Sunday, I'm trying to like put all of everything together what something should look like. So I work 40 hours W two, which is a huge benefit for us. And then I work I don't know how many hours on the weekends, okay. it's extra time that you have to do. I have no intentions of leaving my workplace. I like what I do, but I love also how much I help Brian and how a project finishes and know that I had a big say in what it looks like. Would I give up my W-2 to do this full time? I think it depends on well, there's a couple of things we've talked about too is if if there were people coming knocking on our projects to say, who are you using to this, this and this and this? And Mm -hmm. I was hired, quote unquote, hired to come and help someone design a space or find finishes and did the work for them. And You know, I had that became as an additional source of income for my W two on top of what he's doing, uh, what I do with or what we do together, and it would replace my income. I'd leave it in a heartbeat. I would, Um, but you know, I've been in a nurse practitioner for how long now? Fifteen years. Fifteen years, and you know, I love what I do. And
2: and and you know what it takes that balance, and that's what a lot of people don't understand. And a lot of people sometimes have that tug of war where, you know, the husband is like, well, I'm doing this. Why don't you support my dreams and come over here and work with me? And sometimes the wife may be like, well, like you, Marilyn, I love what I do. You know, I can help you out when I can, when I can but I have my own dreams and goals as well. And it's finding that balance. How did you guys find that balance? Because a lot of people can't seem to find that balance when you have one that's an entrepreneur and one that's a t- W-2 worker.
3: Well, I, I'll start with this. I met Brian. We met each other when we were 17 years old. Wow. So okay. from the moment I met him, he's always had an entrepreneurial grade. Okay. I like a nine to five. I like getting a chunk every week, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. And so, you know, we, we've gone through a lot in just our life in general. And the biggest thing is that I've always supported him and what he's wanted to do. And so I think as a couple... There's hard conversations that you have. Sometimes it was like, go to your corners, time yourselves Mm -hmm. out, and then come back and talk about things. So if you're a couple and one is the entrepreneur and one's the W-2, if you're the spouse that can support that business, how they need you to be, and you have the time to do it, then do it. And, you know, get a little bit knowledgeable about what it is that they're interested in doing, you know, real estate, flipping. Um, new development, uh, design, whatever that may look like for the one entrepreneur and the other person that's supporting them, ask someone, how do you need me? Because when you do that, how do you need me? Because you're coming into their space as an entrepreneur. And so if you come in and you're saying, well, let's do it this way and that way, you're coming into an entrepreneur's brain, which is not like how you might be a thinker. And so we're very opposite. Like he sees the big picture, how everything's finished, yeah. where I am like, okay, I like how that finishes, but how are we going to get there? So we need this, this, and this. So I'm not the, the details person. So then I'd come in and so, say, well, how, how do you meet me? So when this happened in 2008 then I, or in 2020, when I lost my job and he was working, he was doing homes and rehabbing. We had the properties in Plania. I felt like I was the bait and I was totally okay with that. You know, we used our savings from my work to be the initial Um, seed in the properties Mm -hmm. that we did in Michigan that were ended up being the rentals. And Mm -hmm. so when I lost my job, I didn't have anything to do. So I was like, well, I let me just tag along with you. And I'm like, well, what do you need me to do? How can I help you? And so then he said, well, can you do this and this and this? Can you make these phone calls? Knew nothing of what it was, but I learned about it. And so that's how it started. I'll tell you, I'll let Brian tell the reason why I ended up being a lot of, I call, I called myself the hands and feet on the site. So when we are working on what street was that? 14th? Florence. So, no, no, 14th. 14th Street. When we started in 14th Street, that was the first project that I got involved in. The Michigan projects, he did on his own. I just supported him and however he needed me to be. 14th Street was the first time I actually walked into a house and okay. saw Fray me and, and all kinds of, I don't know, trenches and things like that. And I started calling the city. But I'll, I'll let him tell you why I became such an asset. Um, during that time.
0: Okay. In 2017, this is like, all right, I read the book. Uh, let's go and start investing. And my first initial thoughts so like, I want to get rentals. I want to build up some passive income. So that's when I started doing the uh, rental properties. I would go back. So we lived in Pontiac. We grew up in Pontiac. And uh, that's just north of Detroit, suburb of Detroit. And it's still in a little lower income area. But I, I can find... I can find homes at, you know, 40 grand, put 30 into it. And I was going to do the burst. I was doing a burst strategy. So in the first year I bought like five homes or the first year I did two. And then next year I did five. And I did, I had several more coming on. And so now we're in 2018.
3: Or 2018.
0: And then in 2018, we celebrated our 25th anniversary together uh, in September. Yeah. And then, but December, 2018, I was diagnosed with male breast cancer. So I had some money, we had some money coming in, about $4,000 in residual or passive income net to us, okay. you know, after all our rental properties. So, and then, you know, the kids are just, you know, our sons are, and we had our kids early. So our sons are just getting out of the house, you know, one in college. And, you know, so we had enough money at $4,000 to pay you know, majority of our bills, you know, I'm talking about mm-hmm. utilities, our house note, our power payments. And so that was right. And then with the diagnoses was, okay, well, what's this, what's this gonna look like? What's, you know, right, right. it was like a year of therapies and surgeries and radiation and all the chemo and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a, uh, wasn't until maybe in, like, what she said in 2020, 2020 was, I'm still going through treatments and so forth. And Uh, I was on one drug that, man, it really just knocked out, you know, gave me really a bad, uh,
3: hand foot syndrome. Yeah.
0: So it just, it would hurt to stand up for more than five minutes, could walk far. And I'm always athletic, you know, active. so for me to not do anything was like, well, I was not doing anything, but it was kind of hard. Even just driving, ripping the steering wheel would hurt. So, you know, this was just to me, I think God was just blessing us. He knew what was going to happen. And so at this point. She said she lost her job. I'm thinking God just gave us grace because he knew uh, I was going to need some help. I was going to need some help for my business. And it was just the right timing. So, you know, she would drive to the sites. Hey, I was like, hey, you got to go see wait, this, wait, this, wait, this. Wait, Brian,
2: wait, Brian, let's let's not gloss over that, man, because God is truly good because yes. he can see what we don't see. You know, we look like at a situation as, okay, it's, we're down and out. We can't make it, but he have another plan. And thank God for his grace and his mercy. Yes. You know, that he can step in and that he can order our steps and lead us in the right direction. So I didn't want right. to gloss over that because that's very yeah. big, because you could have went into a stupor and been depressed and everything like that. And then it would have been harder for Maryland to get you going. But because of your faith, you guys were able to stand as a union and as a body and push through and right. progress past that. So man thank God yeah. for that.
3: Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it was, I know it was God's plans for him to have, cause he was flying back and forth to Michigan when we started the properties in Michigan. And so then once he got diagnosed, there was no more flying back. Right. But we had, we had, we had that income coming in Then he didn't have to always go back. And the timing was just perfect. And for me to have let, been like go of my position, you know, when you're in it and someone just calls you on a Friday evening and say, Hey, you know, we're going to lay you off, and you're just like, "Excuse me." <laughs> Brian. We were driving that. We were driving that night to go to visit my sister because he had, you know, a good news on like as he was progressing along. When you're in it, you don't necessarily see it, but at the same time, you're just like, "Okay, there's nothing else we can do. Let's just right. let's just move forward." So, me losing my job, him putting all those properties in place in Pontiac at the time, with all. A blessing that we just didn't know at the time and then it was just it was just so good yeah, yeah. and since good. and since then even what i've learned has been you know he needed me to stop being a provider a healthcare provider mm-hmm. and then be his provider and a business partner and that's Great where you know. our business partnership then really changed and took on like very definitive roles then at that time
2: wow um, yeah. wow look at that and i and you Brian...
3: still ask the question like i said earlier still ask the question what do you need me to do? How can I help you? Because I don't do real estate. Right? I trust him 100% to be successful in anything that he does. So now I'm just like, I got to learn this foreign language you know, that I right. had never heard of. And so big learning curve, but you know, he helped and figured it out, figured it out.
2: And I know sometimes being an entrepreneur, it can be difficult when somebody say, well, what do you want me to do? Because in your mind, you're like, okay, I got all of these things that I need to do. And I don't know if I can let it go and let somebody else do what I normally do, because I know the way I do it and how I want it. Was that a challenge for you, um, Brian, to kind of release the reins and let Marilyn run with it? Be truthful.
0: A hundred percent no. Okay, good, good. Yeah, because I am not... Uh, I want control, but I'm not control free. You okay. know, if I know that you can do it and I trust it, it's yours. And I right. then the trust is, I know you're going to take care of it. What's the time frame? You know, when am I going to get it back? You know, this is what I want it to look like when I get it back. You know what I mean? So right, right. for me, you know, and you have to be that way because I mean, especially in this field, whether it's flipping and I call it flipping things six months or less. Um, and we done flips too, and then the development stuff is like stuff that's around average 18 months. So when you're dealing with the framing sub, you know, concrete guy, you know, tile, flooring, whatever it is, you know, you're trusting these people to get the job done and, you know, and you can write off everything you want on the time tracks and everybody signs, that's all good dandy, but at the end of the day, you know. The finished work has to be what you want the, right. at the level you want it at. Yeah. You know, me. so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Smart
2: answer. Smart answer, Brian. <laughs> so let me ask you this, Brian um, and Marilyn, you can chime in on this also. So after you had that setback and you said that you stopped doing real estate for a decade um, and, and you may have answered this, but how did you have the confidence to get back into it?
0: Well, so for me, I, in 2012, I got back and I was like, all right. And then I just did the traditional real estate route again. You know, and I did that for five years. Uh, and then it's like, you know, I like working with, you know, the public, you know, traditional homes, but for me, I'm, I'm always an investor at heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, you know, I want to see a return on the money. And the industry I was in prior to that was merchant processing. So I set up business to take credit card processing. And so what I learned from that business was it was kind of a residual income. And I liked it. And I built up a pretty good book of business. And I was like, well, how can I get this type of business where you work, you know, one time or work hard for one time and you get paid for the next 10 years, 20 years, three years, whatever. And instead of always going after the next thing. Mm -hmm. uh, So I was like, okay, well, I'm already in real estate. And that's just, that's just going to make it happen.
3: When you got the book, really, it really, it was that book, Love Without Risk, that came to him. And then then he just said, I really feel like God's trying to tell me that I need to, you know, buy homes and split them and have it as an income. Now I'm lying to you when we, we. Not necessarily
0: split, rentable. Yeah, we wanted to do rentals.
3: rentals. When we were younger in our twenties and we lost, you know, we lost a lot that yes. time. I had the fear just like, oh my gosh, are we doing this all over again? Cause he's like, hey, can we, I, I want to take this money that you've saved up in your 401 and you don't want to be invested.
1: Right.
2: So
3: yeah. he got that book, something got planted I was nervous. The one thing that made it different, he said, because this time God's telling me to do it. As opposed mm. to this is Brian's idea. Mm. So I don't know how many listeners that you have that have a faith in doing things. You know, sometimes you can have um, um, analysis paralysis yep. where you yep. overthink things. And so when he said that to me, because I didn't want to do it again. I was like, dude, listen, we're, we're really good where we're at. We're successful here, you know. We have a house, and you know, it's we've had stability. Right. But when he said that, right. I was like, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna do this again." Do you, it. I trusted him to do it again, and he did it again. But he also learned from the failures. He or not this? Well, I guess it is. You learn from failures sometimes mm-hmm. of what didn't work when we did it the, when we did it the first time um, in his twenties. And I think coming in the second time, he's just like, "Now I know." what I did wrong and how to correct it. Yes. Um, and so then that made a huge difference. Um, and that's what then just kind of like, it just speared ahead, you know, and they just one property after the next one, after the next one. And we flipped it and, you know, we we made the houses look like if someone's going to rent there, I would live there. Like, would I want to live there? Yeah, I'd want to live there. We didn't want really? that slumlord. Cause you're, you're right. still on it. You know what I mean? Right. People right. are like, oh my gosh, your house is so nice. I'm going to live here. Tons of applicants because the houses they're looking around in the same region, they don't look like ours. Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. you know, we renovated them to really look really great. And so, but I think that was the big difference is that there was a preparation. He knew how to do it right the next time I was supported. But in the end, he's just like, because God told me this is now, is the time. Now's he the got time.
2: The, he got the right backing behind him, not only, <laughs> yes. Mike, but he got yes. God behind him too working with them. Okay, great. Great. So now how did you guys pivot into doing more luxury builds? Because I walked one of your properties while yeah. it's still being, being built and luxury is luxury. And that's a different yeah. monster than, like you said, the $300,000 house that's blue collar worker. But when you're in that, you know, million plus range, there's different finishes. There's different yeah. things you got to have. So how did you How did you both
0: transition into the luxury market? So I would say, you know, one analogy, I I always tell people, I say, okay, when I go to Home Depot, I'm going to go get a two by four. It's the same price, whether I put it in a $500,000 home or a $3 million home, it's the same price. Yep. So the difference is, you know, it costs more a dollar per square foot when you're doing, you know, in a smaller scale. So you got a little bit more room in the luxury market versus, you know, the Laurier, because again, drywall is drywall. It's the same price. They don't ask you at the checkout, well, where's this going? And they charge you you a higher price because it's going to a luxury market. They just don't. So everything's the same. All your costs are the same. The only thing that different, the difference between the luxury, because again, we, we were adding, a thousand square foot to a home. You know, we will buy a house for like two eighty. You know, it was our mm-hmm. first one here. We'll buy we'll buy another one that the same price two eighty and three something. And this is you, we're going to the same companies and using the same contractors. The only thing that comes out is at the end is your finishes. You delicious. know, instead of a, a luxury vinyl plain tile in a rental, at you know two dollars a square foot, square foot you're right. putting an engineered so. hardwood at nine dollars a square foot. And it may be a mm-hmm. different contractor, too, because instead of 250 so $2. a nice. square foot for the contractor, yeah. now they charge four bucks. You know, it's so like- it, 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 to me, it wasn't a big jump because I'm already doing it. You know, I'm already, you know, framing, we're already framing mm-hmm. in foreign country, adding square footage, mm-hmm. things like that. So the big jump
3: was my, yeah. well, the big yeah. jump was me when I came in and it was just okay. like. Okay, this appliance package. <laughs> we're not getting right. this at you know Home Depot, Lowe's, or Spencer's. Now we're yes. buying at higher end stores, and I'm just like, hey, FYI, this faucet and this uh, these bathroom fixtures, they cost this much. And he's like, it's how much, you know? So you're you're because <laughs> yeah. you're catering to that buyer. Right. You know, when I walk right. in, I don't, I don't, not to, I am not knocking down a sixty dollar faucet. Some of them are like beautiful, they're hearty, everything that. I've ordered for every property has come to this house. I've opened every box. I waited it. I'm just like, gosh, this is really great. And then I've got my favorite. But then when you're buying for someone else, they don't want that non-name. Mm-hmm. They right. want, they want a brand, you know? So, you know, there's a difference between, it's you know, be uh, quality too. yeah, you, you're, it's a yeah. difference between me buying a bag at clothes. That's just a general versus me going to a prod or a Louis Vuitton store. So, Bags still carry wallets and cash and all those things, but there's difference in quality of, of what you're doing when you're buying certain things. So I can't give them a Kohl's bag. I have right. to give them a Louis Vuitton product bag. So that go. changed a little bit, but still in the end, it's still profitable, um, yeah, you know, when it's all said and done. And that's think? right.
2: When, when, you're, when you're going into those luxury markets and luxury products those buyers, they know what they expect. Like you said, right. they expect the Lloyd, they they expect the Wolf Appliances and higher. You can't go in there with Kenmore or yeah. Frigidaire or something yeah. like that because right. immediately they're going to say, well, you're trying to get me to pay this sticker price for this model and this quality of product. And that, right. that just doesn't work. You right. know, that's like, like you said, putting, you know, a $20,000 sticker tag on a, on a bag that's in Target. Just don't work. It just don't right,
3: right. So yeah, and you don't want that homeowner to come in and looking at the things they have to replace if right. you didn't put it in.
2: True, true. Okay, yeah. so so you guys, so it was it was really just a mental mindset to move up from you know product B to product A and understanding those additional costs that go along with that. Correct.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then you know it, yeah, it's really it, it was. It was really price. I mean, that was the only thing. So you know, like we're, we we got a couple of properties. It's the difference between like I mentioned. Hey, I, I bought a house of two eighty. We had square footage. Now in the luxury, I'm buying a house at nine hundred sixty thousand, and I'm knocking it down. You know, so you got to get over that hurdle, yeah. and then you know, the, and then it's the finish. So it's it's going from okay, I got four hundred thousand dollars into this project. Worth now I got one point eight million dollars into this project. Okay. Again, it's the same, you know, behind the, yeah, the same picks pipe for the plumbing, and all the concrete is all the same. It, the difference is the entry price is a lot uh, way cheaper, and yeah. then the uh, the finish is a lot higher. But you know, it's it's, it's it, it doesn't. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It, it, to me, it wasn't the you know, yeah, that is the big jump. It's just the price, the sticker okay. shock, and you got like okay, and does it make money though? And for me, I think it, there's a little bit more cushion and room in that market as long as you do it right versus, you know, $500,000 house because, right. hey, if the, when the interest rates went down and we were selling one in Glendale back last year when the interest rates started to escalate right around almost this time, like in June, we put on the market right. and it's like, man, interest rates really jumped at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a $600,000 house. The difference is, you know, if the market comes down 5%, and, you know, we only have so much cushion, cushion, you know, you know, but in the more in the real estate, in a luxury, it's like, it comes out 5%. Yeah. But we have, you know, bigger we buffer. have a little bit more, yeah, bigger buffers. So it's,
3: it's the difference.
0: Somewhat protected. Yeah.
2: Okay. So let me, let me ask you this and um, we're going to start wrapping up here, but this is an excellent conversation. When you, when you went for financing, Okay, because you were doing $30,0, $40,0, dollars houses. And just to give some perspective, guys, here in Phoenix, three, four, and five hundred thousand, those are working class, nice, nice homes, but they're not luxury, like where it would be luxury maybe in the South or something like that. So when you went from the mid-grade product and you went for financing to the luxury market, how much of a switch was it for your lender to accept you moving? from this playing field to this playing field?
0: Uh, that's a great question. So I would say Marcus, it was a very easy transition because oh, we already had a track record, yeah. you know, that's of gosh, at least 27 homes at a time. You know, we always paid our, our, our you know, interest only loans like we were doing a, uh, if it was a, a hard money lender or bank lender, you know, we just had a good track record, you know, excellent credit. That's one thing I would say, tell people, if you're going to get into this, you know, make sure you got good credit because it's one of the okay. things that they want to see. And, you know, we've had good credit over the last decade, couple of decades. And, okay. you know, no missed payments or anything like that. So that's that's a key. And then just the track record. You know, if if you're new and you've done five or six houses or even 10, you know, you like, hey, let me go get me a million dollar house. Let me put a million bucks into it and let me sell it for three. Well, they're going to tell you no, mm-hmm. because you don't have that track record. They don't trust you. Right, Gosh. and so it wasn't like you know, I I want to go do this. Let me do it. Well, if you have a couple million, and you know you don't have to answer anybody, then yeah, go ahead. You know, maybe get some help, but but you don't have to answer anybody. But if right. you got, you know, if you're looking for a lender to help you, well, they want to see a track record. They want to see what have you done, how many new constructions you have have you done, or how many homes have you done with larger additions, heavy renovations, and things like that. So. It's not like you can go from hey, I bought this rental, and you know I, I did a right. lipstick flip, you know, flip to it, and you know, then the next project you're gonna do is two million. That that That's just won't happen. Right, right. They want to see track records, and yeah? we just, you know, it took us, you know, four and a half years to get that track record, and mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. damn, and I would say the big thing is keep dealing with the same people. You yeah. know,
3: don't uh, around.
0: They'll keep, yeah. keep that going. I and mean, they'll see you like, all right, you got a good track record. You pay us on time every month. month. Yeah, let's do mm-hmm. it. So so
2: working with that same lender is a key, I yeah. can assume, right? Okay, so very good. So, guys, you all listening to this, um, you you listened to Marilyn and uh, Brian's progress and process getting to where they are now. It didn't happen overnight, right? When did you guys start? 19 what? Nineteen ninety five. Yes. OK. So nineteen ninety five. What's that? Thirty years. Yeah. 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 Go, yeah, yeah, yeah. 20 years. Thirty years. So it's it's not overnight, you know, so if you're looking for overnight success, this is not for you. You know, can you have success? Absolutely. But yeah. you have to respect the process. You have to take those baby steps to get where you want to go. So, um, Brian, Marilyn, before I let you guys go. Kind of give us some words of encouragement for those people, those individuals that's getting started and they say, you know what, I want to be a builder. I want to get to that stage. Kind of give them some words of encouragement on what they should do in order to keep that that level of excitement so they can achieve their goals.
3: Well, I will first. Listen, if you want to do this, just do it. I'm a, you know, in my career profession, I went to school. I'm a pediatric practitioner my side job is I do design. And, you know, I, I didn't do this on my own. I didn't like go in there and, and buy a bunch of tiles and put this together. Network, you know, Brian networks a lot. I networked a lot. I made great connections with, you know, tile stores and design places and where i buy my materials from and finishes from, you know, you've got to, you've got to do the homework. The biggest thing is, is don't be afraid to do it. I mean, I did it because, you know, Kind of like had to I needed I needed to help him, I wanted to help him, and I started that way. If somebody would have told me ten years ago that I'd be doing this, I'd call him a liar, mm-hmm. but I like what I do and it's and especially if you like design and you have that passion to do it, you're even more fed of me because I didn't know what I was doing. I did it well though, I did it well. I'm not patting myself on the back, but you know when people come in and they like how a house is finished, it gives me a little bit of encouragement I'm doing okay. And if you have it and you know you're great with design and color and finishes and weird and network stuff, you're way ahead of the game. What you have to do is you have to trust yourselves. And you know what? There's always something, you know, there's nothing wrong with failing, failing forward. Okay, so that didn't work out. How do I learn from it? Do it differently in the next project and just keep doing it that way. So that's my encouragement. But don't get stuck. Like I said, analysis paralysis. Don't get stuck thinking about what is that? What is that? What if that? What if you don't do it? Five years down the line, guess what? You still didn't do it. Just do it. You know, just what, what's it going to harm you? Maybe you, you know, maybe you're profitable. Maybe yeah. you make 50 grand, a hundred grand because you took a risk. Just there do it. On. Yeah.
2: Just jump out there. Take, yeah. take that action. Take that action. Yeah. So yeah. And my you?
3: scripture, I will add that the scripture no, right, that we have in our house is whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And you're excellent. You'll be golden.
2: Excellent. Excellent. Amen to that. What
0: about you, Brian? So as you, you made that statement, what would you do? I would say the best thing is, especially, it wouldn't even say if you knew, even if you're seasoned, uh, partner up with somebody, be a mentee, you know, jump in. If you got there, Hey, I got 25 grand, you know, what do I do? I can't buy a $500,000 house. Well, partner up with someone that, you know, that's already doing, it. you know, that's done yeah. five homes because so someone's done five homes could teach someone's done zero. Right. right? Yep. And someone's yep. done 30 homes to teach someone's done five. So, you know, and then if you've done 50, but you know, maybe, maybe you want to do some traveling, Hey, but let me keep your money working, you know, work with someone else that's already doing it. You like what they do. You get along, you know, you can trust them and then partner up with them. That's what I would suggest. And then you learn some aspects of the business, like you know, we're doing uh we're doing another new construction here in Goodyear soon. We're going to be breaking ground hopefully within a couple of weeks. Uh, we partner with someone, and she's really good with design and things like that. And she's like, "Hey, I don't know this beginning part, you know, working with the dirt excavations and the framing and the concrete and all that, but hey, you give me, you can give me the house. And once it's framed up, you know, and the on, hey, I can run with it." I'm like. Yeah, you know, and but that's okay. what she's good at. But she, she also, also jumped in it. with this, they also jumped in with this, not knowing those things, but they trusted us because we've done yeah. a few of them. right? So, but, you know, I would say, you know, even if you don't have any money, hey, can I do this? And maybe, maybe you can add value of maybe following some people going out to the city, you know, how you know, add value to someone's life, right. don't just go to them and ask them a bunch of questions. Like somebody said to me, I was like, Hey, I want to do this, this, and this like, okay, well bring me some value, you know, do something for me. You know, can you go run to the title company? Can you go run down to the city? Can you go check on this or that? Uh, and it, and it, you don't have to have any money to do that stuff. You just got to have your time. And then once you're doing it, you get to and you get to learn, you come on the job site and you get to see what's going on you can see what, What it looks like to frame a basement out or the the pad out for a basement. And so what the frame of the house looks like. You can see the drywall. You can see all of that stuff just by being on site. And there's no money involved. Or if you have some, i with somebody else. If you want to go to that next level, uh, whether it be a number of deals or different type of, uh, you know, from from middle class homes to uh, luxuries.
3: Okay. Yeah, so if there's any listeners out there that want to see how we do this, you know, I'll, reach out to us. We'd love to, like, talk and meet and, you know, see what where you're at and where we're at and fill in the gap of knowledge. I mean, really, we should be helping each other out to be successful um, in this market.
0: But it does take a team. It takes a yeah. team effort, and you can't do this by yourself.
3: Yeah.
2: And And that's my next question. So, Brian, Marilyn, someone wants to reach out to you. How can they get in contact with you? You know, if it's your Facebook, Instagram, email, telephone number, how can we reach you if we wanna definitely want to work with
0: you guys? Well, for me, mm-hmm. you can insta I'm on Instagram at Brian the Elder. Uh yes. that's my handle on Instagram. I was, handle- I was, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I was watching I you the other day, Brian. You was on the uh you was on the I think you was on the backhoe. You was digging out the 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 foundation for the pool and yeah. everything. So
3: <laughs> Yes. He doesn't post too much on social media, but that's a good way to connect with him um, that way. If you want to connect to me, you can connect through him. I have a phone number. If you want to outreach to me, can I give my number here? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Please. Yeah. So I'm at 248-346-4794. That's my Michigan number. And it'll always be my Michigan number. But yeah, if you're interested in how I got involved or being that partner and like how to be a partner to an entrepreneur, hey, I'm thrilled to talk to
2: All right, guys. So you all know exactly what to do. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Marilyn, for being here. We really want to appreciate you because you brought some inspiration to what we're trying to do as real estate investors. It's good to see a power couple that's working together and accomplishing goals. So you all that's listening, you know exactly what to do. Get out there, start taking massive action and always enjoy the journey. And reach out to Brian, reach out to Marilyn. If you have any questions, about building or getting started, trust me, they're good people. They're willing to help. So with that being said, thank you, Brian. Thank you, Marilyn. And you all know what to do. Always, always enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guests as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com. Also, youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.